0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18 plus. Talk Radio.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Opinion Show. And today we are talking about the Junkyard Dog and some of his greatest performances and why he belongs in the Observer Hall of Fame. And I'm joined once again by Juan Silva. What's up, man?
1: Hey, good afternoon, Logan. Good afternoon, Classic Wrestling fans. As we talk about today, one of the greatest drawing cards in any territory. In the history of Mid-South, he is the number one drawing card. And if you look in the history of the Observer Hall of Fame, the biggest drawing card in each territory always gets in. Mid-South, UWF, equals... The J-Y-D, the Junkyard Dog.
2: Now, uh, he was probably the biggest draw ever in that in that territory, right? It's
1: not even, It's not even close,
2: 100%. And uh, he is currently uh, not even on the ballot, is he?
1: He's on the ballot. Uh, they put him back on the ballot last year.
2: All right. And uh, what's been, uh, in your mind, been keeping him off the ballot? Just uh, his working ability?
1: What I, Dave has a rule that if you get less than a certain percentage, you get uh, kick off, kicked off the ballot, and that's what happened to him when he was first on the ballot many, many years ago.
2: Now, Dave, as uh, I, if you've read some of the old observers, he really did not like the junkyard dog. He used to call him the junk food dog for a long time.
1: Because what happened, Logan, the junkyard dog in the early 80s in the Mid-South was built like a brick shit house. But then he became a uh, he became addicted to cocaine, he became an alcoholic, he was living the life of the high lifestyle, dealing with the women, and he let himself go. <laughs> so by 86, 87, he was no longer a brick shithouse, he was a fat slob. So that's why they would call him the junk food dog, because it looked like he was having his fun with all the junk food.
2: Now in these matches that you uh, had me watch, uh, these are in his uh... – Early part of his career. Now, yeah, you said he's, he's chiseled, basically. He's, uh,
1: if you look he's, at the, matches, the two matches from Mid-South, he's chiseled. And the um, yeah. last match, which would be Terry Funk, would, would be around the time where he stopped taking care of himself.
2: That's when he started eating the junk food.
1: All right, so uh, we'll talk about this. Uh, these three
2: matches. Why don't you uh, let us know what they are?
1: All right, we're going to go first from June of 1982 Um, The Junkyard Dog versus Ted DiBiase on an episode of Mid-South Championship Wrestling. This was the turning of of Ted DiBiase from being the number two face to the number one heel in the Mid-South for the next three years. Then we go to April of 1983 from the Superdome, a match with the always very unheralded Mr. Olympia. This match, once again, both these matches, the first match to talk about, is for the main title in the Mid-South, the North American Heavyweight Championship. And then the final match will be from the fall of 1985, uh, a tremendous feud. This was a great feud, the feud between the Junkyard Dog and Terry Funk, a matchup from the Boston Garden.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was good. Now, uh, this uh, thing with, um, I think the first one is what, uh, Teddy Biasi?
1: Yes, Teddy Biasi.
2: So, Ted DiBiase was his uh, his partner, but why don't you talk about a little bit of the history of this feud? Yeah,
1: you know, what what happened is the Junkyard Dog, when he first came into Mid South late 1979, Bill Watts wanted to build a territory around him because Bill Watts was always looking for that big, big time black baby face, African American baby face, that would draw because he had te- New Orleans, Mississippi, he had territories that had a huge African-American population that hadn't been touched. So he knew if he he centered the promotion around a charismatic black baby face, that those people would come in droves. And the Junkyard Dog, in early 1980, began his ascent to the top of the Mid-South card to to become the greatest Mid-South drawing card of all time. Why? Because they didn't angle a Logan in the in I would say early 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 spring, early winter late winter the early spring of nineteen eighty, there was an angle that Bill Watts orchestrated with the Fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordon. They came in the ring and they um they challenged J Y E to a match. During the match, they blinded the junkyard dog and this feud became electric. The junkyard dog went on television. Out of a With the shaving cream, Michael Hayes, Michael Hayes had this shaving cream that could make your hair, make you lose your hair, and they accidentally do the cream in junkyard dog's eyes. Junkyard wow. dog. They. Bill Watts went 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 all out with this with, with, with this angle. He put the JY in a hospital room in a hospital with bandages on his eyes. And he talked about how the junkyard dog's daughter was just born, which was, once again, Bill Watts used reality with fantasy. JYD's daughter had just been born. And so the junkyard dog is in his hospital bed saying, I'm never going to be able to see my daughter. I can hold her, but I can never see my daughter's eyes. I can't see. Michael Hayes, I'm going to make you pay for this. If I can ever get my eyesight back, I'm going to make you pay for not allowing me to see my daughter when she was born. That was that was so touching Logan this is back in nineteen eighty that Mid-South fans started sending money to that hospital for the jyard <laughs> <laughs> so he could have so he could have eye surgery to regain his eyesight so yeah right that touched off a few epic proportions in the fall in the summer August of nineteen eighty he had a door collar match with Michael Hayes. In the Superdome, that you between 30 to 40,000 people. Back in 1980, Logan, 30 to 40,000 people, unheard of. And in that, in that match culminated in JYD winning the feud with a door collar match, so he was able to grab him without having to see. After defeating and getting running the Freebirds out of town, he miraculously gained his eyesight back, and he became a huge draw from the moment that Angle to the summer of nineteen eighty four when he defected to the WWF. So we go to June of nineteen eighty two, Logan, and the junkyard dog needed another heel to feud with. So Ted DiBiase went to Ernie Ladd's office. Ernie Ladd was the booker at that time for Bill Watts from Mid South. And he told Ernie Ladd, Look, I got the perfect heel to hot headline against JYD. Ernie Ladd was who? Who? DiBiase is me. Bill Watts loved the idea because Teddy Biasi and Junkyard Dog in real life were best friends. The Junkyard Dog was the best man at Teddy Biasi's wedding, and if Is you that see true? this clip, they both mention that. Is so, that true? Yes. Once again, oh. fantasy dealing with reality. The Junkyard Dog was the best man at Teddy Biasi's wedding. When Teddy Biasi went through problems where he needed money, Junkyard Dog gave him money. And the same thing happened years later when the JYD was down and out. Ted DiBiase gave him money. That's the type of type of friendship they had. So this was this was perfect for this match: babyface versus babyface, June of 1982, for the for the JYD's North American Championship.
2: All right. So they now they uh, were going into this match as like a babyface versus babyface match, like they were going to respect each other. Yes. And then all of a sudden. Uh, uh, you got uh, they a little bit, and you got who's uh, was the commentator that was waiting to fight them? Uh, waiting to fight Junkyard Dog after he won.
1: At this point in time, Bob Roop was feuding with both the JYD and Teddy Biasi, so that was the right. Bob Roop, who was a member of the 1968 United States Olympic team in real life, and um, was one of the guys who helped train Lex Luger, and was Lex Luger's manager, personal manager for while in Florida in the late 1980s.
2: Right on. So so he's uh he's you know, he, he did a good job of, of commentating this and then he's like, No
1: way can uh can
2: uh Ted DiBiase beat the junkyard
1: dog <laughs> if, if Ted DiBiase can't beat me and the junkyard dog beat me, there's no way in the world he could beat the junkyard dog. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. So so he's he's um uh, comment- and all of a sudden, um Teddy Indian takes out some uh like brass knucks or something from his knife and uh knocks out the junkyard dog Coles Yes. and uh it's and that that's...
1: big feud a big feud that will culminate with once again the j y d um it will it, will, it will, the feud will continue remember we on one of one of our people can look at the archives we did um wrestling's greatest matches, a match between the j y d and mr Olympia, the next perfect segue against. DiBiase and Matt Bourne, the lose, the loser of the poll have the loser of the will have to leave mid South for ninety days. Jim Jim does comes out in a gorilla suit, spears the JYD. The JYD gets pinned and he has to leave the territory for ninety days and he comes back as Stagger Lee and that continues the feud. Finally, after defeating the uh, after running Terry Teddy to be Ted DiBiase out of the mid South his taxi partner, Mr. Olympia, turns on him. And that sets up the next feud, the next match we're talking about, from the spring of nineteen eighty three, from the Superdome, for the vacant North American championship inside the steel cage, Mr. Olympia versus the JYD.
2: Now who who is Mr. Olympia? What was his real name?
1: Jerry Stubbs, um, one of Carl Stern's favorite wrestlers of all time. If you take the mask off, he looks like Arn Anderson with less hair. But when you put the mask on, he's charismatic because he was a great promo. He 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 was great with I loved him with the mask. Without the mask, he looked like somebody's grandfather. But with the mask on, he had great charisma because you hid the fact that he was bald.
2: Yeah, and he also had a great mouthpiece and uh uh Sheikh yeah, the sheikh.
1: Scandor Akbar, Akbar was one of J Y well, J Y D would always fight Scandor Akbar's men like, like Hulk Hogan would fight Bobby Heenan's men. It was always Skandar Akbar throwing one man after another after to try to get rid of the junkyard dog.
2: But Skandar Akbar looked to me like just like a redneck with a fucking head headscarf on. But <laughs> he's actually from Lebanon in real life. Oh yeah. All right. Well, he he didn't have an accent or anything. So he
1: to, he, he he came to um, Dallas uh, in his early twenties, and he stayed in Dallas for many many years. So he developed that southern accent. That, that so when you see him in the eighties. You see this guy with a with a who's supposed to be a sheikh from from Saudi Arabia with a southern accent. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So they they uh. So so then does he join up? Uh, does Teddy DiBiase join up with him, or what's the deal?
1: Well, after Teddy DiBiase turns on the JYD, he forms the Rat pack, which the general Skander Akbar, is the leader of.
2: Yeah. Okay. So then and now he leaves the territory. Eventually, um, does, where does he go? Said
1: oh, he goes to Georgia, but then he comes back. And around this time, when uh, um, the, the 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 match between G, uh, JYD and Mr. Olympia, DiBiase had already come back to Mid South.
2: So he's uh, having this match with uh, Mr. Olympia, and uh, why don't you it's a very quick match.
1: Um. Well, it's not a quick match. This is five minutes, five minutes highlights of a twenty something minute match. They hit oh. the main points. This match, and I remember the first wrestling magazine I ever bought. Ogun was in the spring of 1983 on the cover was the junkyard dog. It was the ring wrestling magazine and they covered this match. And I always wanted to, I, this is the first time I got to see a clip of this match. I wasn't looking for this match. That's why I put it here because in the magazine, the magazine, uh, described exactly what happened at the end. The junkyard dog got blinded. I want to scandal. I Henchmen. Once again, they're going back to the blinding. The fans are going crazy because, oh, no, our hero's getting blinded again. So if a fan comes to ringside, doesn't want the- J.Y.D. to lose his eyesight again, throws beer in J.Y.D.'s eyes, which is perfect. They wound up arresting that guy, but it, it worked perfectly because Bill Watts sped up the finish. He beat- Mr. Olympia puts J.Y.D. in a sleeper hole. J.Y.D. kicks off the ropes. The momentum pinning Mr. Olympia as he continues to try to put the Junkyard to sleep. Shook Your Dog regains the North American Championship.
2: Oh, man, and the promo afterward, man. They were so angry about this.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, but... Kevin Ross was great. Oh, you, you guys robbed us. Oh, my
2: God,
1: we still cage back
2: till we got to the building. <laughs> uh, uh, you could have counted it to 100. You would have never up. But anyway, so we got um, that match. Now, that match was... Um, yeah what, what what how can you explain though why JYD was so loved like what was it about him
1: because he was charismatic he was a great promo in his prime as you can see in the promo with Teddy. he was he was the black man superman he was the average black man superman These, this is New Orleans uh, Gulfport Mississippi Biloxi Mississippi poor urban black towns and JYD was their Superman. Was the hero? It was like, wow, this guy, he's gonna beat all the bad white bait, bad guys, beat them down. And he always, he would always make that Superman come back. And he, and he was, and he was. Whenever the matches were over, he'd go in the crowd, he hugged the fans. He no, was, it was in, like Hulk Hogan, like a Hulk Hogan guy. Yeah, he was the black Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan, because Hulk Hogan right. hadn't developed yet.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you can see why Vince would want him, especially to, like, kill that territory.
1: Well, Vince Vince stole him because Vince went and he was attempting to steal every um, region's top babyface. He couldn't do it with Lawler because Lawler was owner of the Memphis territory. Uh, He couldn't do it with Dusty because Dusty was in bed with the or and Flair because um, he tried to get Flair, but Flair was very loyal to Jim Crockett. But he got Piper out of Portland. He got JYD out of Mid-South. He went and got all of uh, Hogan out of AWA, all the top babyfaces he could to help destroy those territories, because what he would do, Ho- or Logan, is that he would go opposition to them with their top face right away in a main event. Oh, if you want to you come see your, your your hero, you can only check him when the WWF comes to town.
2: So when JYD, uh, when JYD... Uh, Left. I mean, you think if he had stayed in that territory, he would be in the Observer Hall of Fame now, right?
1: Yeah, because he would have continued to be the number one now. The promotion died in 1987. I think if JYD would have stayed with uh, Mid-South and they had gone national, they would have continued to probably stay around for at least – they might have even got the TBS contract that Turner had promised them. Things might have changed had JYD stayed – in the mid south and I would guarantee you, had he stayed in the mid south another three, four years, with, with record numbers continuing to grow in New Orleans, no man ever drew in New Orleans like the junkyard door. He would have continued to draw and yes, he definitely he definitely would have been part of that original class that um they did back in ninety six.
2: Now when he was in that uh uh on that top spot in that territory, he did actually wrestle Rick Flair a couple times,
1: didn't he? I don't remember. I know he wrestled Bachwinkle. I don't think he wrestled Flair.
2: Okay, so it was the AWA territory.
1: Yeah, wasn't it? No, Mid South was an independent territory. Um, uh-huh. Bill Watts had no affiliation with the NWA or AWA. The reason JYD wrestled Mick Bachwinkle was because Bill Watts had a piece of the Houston territory, and JYD was a huge draw in Houston. And Bachwinkle also owned a piece of the Houston territory, so that's why that match occurred.
2: So, there's never been a match between Ric Flair and Junkyard Dog. I just seem to remember. Champion,
1: yeah, in 1990, Clash of the Champions. Okay, there you go.
2: So, so there's... Uh, so, J.Y.D. gets into the WWE, and then... Uh, is that his first feud with Terry Funk?
1: Now, when he first comes into the WWE, Logan, he, he doesn't have a feud right away. They put him... He's basically a special attraction slash tag team partner. He teams with Ricky Steamboat. He teams with Tito Santana. He teens with Superfly Snooker. He teams with Hulk Hogan. But he doesn't have a real feud until mid midway part of nineteen eighty five when Terry Funk comes into the territory. And a lot of people remember this. You probably remember this too, Logan. There was a match where Terry Funk was abusing the ring announcer, the famous pedophile Mel Phillips. And He's beating them down, and the JYD comes out and saves Mel Phillips from the beating. And that's what sets up this feud between him and Terry Funk. And it was a great feud. Terry Funk bumped his ass off. One of the greatest matches in the history of Saturday Nightmare event was a match between Terry Funk and the JYD. A month before this match we're talking about, from the fall of 1985, Boston Gardens, Terry Funk versus the Junkyard Dog. Right,
2: yeah, so here we go with Terry Funk, and then you got... Uh, uh... Jimmy Hart there and all his glory. Uh So tell, take us through this quick match.
1: Yes, uh, uh, this was uh, Jimmy Hart in his prime as the annoying manager with the megaphone.
2: <laughs> yeah, really good. Now they they uh, they go in there. They're uh, they, I mean here like I mean I think uh, J Y D still looks pretty good here. I mean you're
1: saying he's still
2: not he's still a little fatter than he was.
1: If you look at it from the first match that we showed on this on this podcast to now, you've he's got a gut. He didn't have a gut when we first when you first saw him.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, he gets that they 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 brawl around. He's uh, he's throwing him around like he's still doing the the, the Black Superman thing, and then uh, he
1: gets caught on the outside. Um, oh, that and, was uh, because he's chasing um, Jimmy Hart. And Terry Funk catches him on the outside, and, and you hear Jimmy Hart, get him, Terry, Terry, get him, Terry, Terry, get him.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and so, and Junko Dog is basically like, you know, he, he does throw some pretty damn good punches. Uh, that's uh, another thing. He probably threw some of the best punches in the business. In
1: order, in order to work for Bill Watts, your punches had to be realistic because if your punches weren't realistic, he'd take you to the back and show you how to throw a real punch by really punching you.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know if he wanted to fuck hey, look, with JYD. They,
1: South, the, the guys that came from Mid South, the Freebirds, they threw a hell of a punches. They threw great punches. JYD, uh, Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase had a hacksaw Duggan. Those punches looked like they really were knocking your head off because Bill Watts wanted to make it look as authentic as possible.
2: Yeah. So, in this in this match, how did, now what's the finish of this? What happens here?
1: JYD uh, puts him in a small package and pins him, but then of course Funk and, and Funk and um Hart destroy him after the match to keep the heat.
2: Yeah, uh J- and then uh of course uh you have Jimmy Hart taking his shirt off and think he's gonna start beating on JYD and then he starts to stomp him, and he catches his foot and uh keeps him from doing that. But uh but yeah, so that's the JYD still like was a pretty big guy
1: in hey, look the WWF. When he comes down the aisle in this match, the fans go ape shit when he comes down the aisle.
2: Yeah, now, he, did he When he was in the WWF for a little while, did they still keep that theme song, another one Bites The Dust?
1: At the very beginning for for the first year and then they changed it to grab them kicks when they did the WWF album.
2: Yeah, yeah. They I mean, I know they they didn't want to pay rights, so but that was a great song to come down to, man. Uh, uh, he, another
1: one by uh, two of the greatest theme songs ever. He had another one, "Bites the Dust," by um Queen, and "Atomic Dog" by George Clinton. Those, I mean, those were perfect, perfect theme songs for him. "Grab Them Cakes" was a cartoon song. I never liked that song, yeah, and but it was fitting because he started using that song when his career was on the decline. In his prime. <laughs> <laughs> Atomic Dog and Another One Bites the Dust, two of the greatest um theme songs ever for a wrestler coming down the aisle.
2: Yeah, I mean Grab and Cakes had a similar chord progression of Another One Bites the Dust and that's, they probably just kinda of mimicked it.
1: When you get a doo doom 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 Yeah, doo-doo, another one bites the dust, hey, hey that was just crap. Yeah.
2: And he always got a big pop. Even when he was you know, past his prime, man, he always got a big pop.
1: See, when he was a in 1990, when he did the, the um, when he was a surprise opponent for Ric Flair at the Clash of Champions, the place went apeshit. It's just he was already over 300 pounds and he was past his prime. The sad part about it, Logan, he was in his late 30s. When you see him in 1982, he's old, he's. 29 years old, 30, 31 years old, his prime. By the time he wrestled Flair in 90 and he's way he past his prime, he's only 38, 39 years old. But years of drug abuse destroyed his body. Yeah, same old story. He was only 45, 46 years old when he died. I mean, I
2: would say he's a major feature of the WWE, WWF expansion. He was part of the rock and wrestling uh, cartoon. I mean, he. I remember, like you know,
1: he was in the first WrestleMania. He wrestled in the semifinal match against Greg Hammer Valentine.
2: He won the wrestling WWE, the WWF wrestling yes, classic.
1: Yes, against Macho Man Randy Savage, which was, which was another great match and really elevated Macho Man.
2: Yeah, and he and he was basically the number two babyface behind uh, Hulk Hogan, yeah, well,
1: for, Hogan. When he first came in 1984, the top three babyfaces in the WWF were Hogan, one. Snooker 2, Sergeant Slaughter 3. Eventually it would be Slaughter 2, Snooker 3. Slaughter left in late 1984 over a disagreement with him wanting his own doll with another toy company. So he went to, to AWA. And then Snooker's drug problems in the spring to fall of 1985 pushed him out. And that made the JYD from that point on until I would say Piper's turn in the summer of 86 as the number two babyface in the promotion.
2: Yeah, man, and uh, he, you know, like he maintained. I mean, now he eventually was like sent out of the WWE uh, for just drug problems. Is that what happened?
1: It was. It was a combination of all that stuff, and he was overweight. He had a drug problem. Um, he was no longer needed as a drawing card. This would be the summer to fall of 1988. He was fired. He would catch on with Crockett and Turner, on and off until 1992. And then basically for the last six years of his career, from 92 to 98, he was an independent wrestler. He, a month before he died, he showed up in ECW and popped it, the crowd popped huge.
2: Uh-huh. And then he died very
1: suddenly. Uh, he, it was tragic. He was driving, on, he got caught in a snowstorm on his way to try to to see to the same daughter that they did the angle, the blinding angle, he was trying to get to a high school graduation. And he died on his way to to her high school graduation.
2: Wow, well, he died in a car accident.
1: Yeah, he drove all driving. Took um, it was a huge snow, uh, it's a huge blizzard, and his car overturned, and he died instantly.
2: Wow. So, uh, so he probably maybe he was drunk. Who knows? But uh,
1: probably no, no, not. Huh? He didn't have any chemicals in his body. No, it was he might have been falling asleep at the wheel. Remember, he was driving. They said from 10 to 14 hours. Oh shit! Well, anyway, uh, that's then his daughter but, died tragically. His daughter died of a heart attack. When? Yes. Uh, not too long after she inducted him into the WWE Hall of Fame.
2: Oh, so he was inducted into that Hall of Fame. Now, with regard to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, is it just that he didn't? They didn't think like he was on top long enough because he went, speed jumped to the WWF, I, and
1: according to Dave, anybody that's on his ballot. He only puts the best of the best. He 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 has no argument for anybody on the ballot. If they get in, they they, they're on the ballot, then they then they deserve a shot to be in. So he doesn't have any arguments. Whenever they talk, the reason why he put the J Y D back on the ballot is because he did research and he saw that J Y D was his monster draw from 1980 to 1985, and he was like, you know, everybody else in that era is on the on the ballot so I'm going to put him back on the ballot. And he's. we'll see the results next week. I don't think he's getting in, but I'm hoping he continues to do a strong showing because last year he had a better showing than when he was prior to being on the ballot.
2: Okay, well, maybe, with this, uh, maybe if Dave uh, touted his uh, drawing power a little better. and But, his. I mean, there's no question he didn't have the wrestling ability that a lot of these guys that are on there. But then, I mean, Oh Hogan doesn't have wrestling ability. There's
1: a lot of guys in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame that had no working ability at all, but they're in it because of their drawing power. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and do you think uh, he? So you, you don't think? He'll, do you think he'll ever be in? I mean, because if he doesn't get in this year, I don't see him getting in oh,
1: later. I mean, got back on the ballot, so he's going to be on for a few years.
2: I see. So it, there's a chance.
1: As long as he can uh, maintain the percentage. And I think he will because last year he was above the percentage to stay on, and I think he'll get more votes this year. I'm just hoping it co- continues to grow and more people see. This man has Hall of Fame box office numbers. I mean, you look at all the great tor- territories and the biggest. Other than Carlos Colon, he's the only one not in.
2: But I mean, how many? I mean, does it have to be over a number of years? Or is it, I mean, because it was only in like three or four years, right?
1: It was from 1980 in Mid South to '84, so that's a four and a half year period. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty. That's. I mean,
2: most people don't have it that long. I mean
1: slogan, after he left, after he left uh, Mid South, New Orleans never drew again. I mean, they 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 sold out WrestleMania, but that's but WrestleMania sells out everywhere. As far as big big draw, no one drew at, at in, no one's drawing in New Orleans since JYD left.
2: Yeah, they kept trying to recreate it with Butch Reed and with other people, and it just couldn't. It
1: tried, but no one had that JYD magic appeal. He was just—he was that everyday dude. He was like the Black Dusty Rose, if you want to make a comparison. He was—he was that everyday dude. You could—the you, the, the blacks in that area could relate to the JYD.
2: Now, uh, did he ever uh, do any tags with uh,
1: Dusty? Yes, yes, in the Superdome uh that same Superdome show show where he wrestled Michael Hayes, he teamed with Dusty against the Freebirds.
2: Wow, that must have been a major pop right there, major draw. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, well, that, there you have it, man. The argument is there. He should be on the Hall of Fame. In, 19, uh, in
1: 1983, when the territories were as strong as ever before McMahon took over the world, if you look at every, ter- look at every territory and the big star in each territory – Awa was Hogan. Florida was Dusty. Crockett, it was Flair. Portland, it was Piper. WWF, it was Superfly Snooker. And in the mid, uh, Memphis, it was Jerry the King Lawler. And in the mid South, it was the one and only the Junkyard Dog. Is Piper in. Piper was one was in the first class. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess uh, his feud with Hogan. You don't need a Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, man. So uh, we'll uh, we'll be uh, checking to see whether he makes it this year, and hopefully eventually he will. He definitely seems to deserve it, so um, I would uh, vote for him for sure. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit later about some, the movie uh, Hoodlum starring uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne and uh we'll and we we'll look forward to that movie on Logan's movie reviews so check us out there if you want to hear that review
1: thanks okay. man I
2: was a big man peace
0: plus.